Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Um, if you're just joining us, we actually just wrapped up a series last week. And today we have a one-time special event, uh, special edition uh, for the well this morning. And if you've looked at the title that you've already seen, you're probably wondering, what does that mean? Um, the talk today is titled The Pride of Our Race. The Pride of Our Race. And for those who are familiar with um, church hymnology and, and things like that, You'll know that's actually one of the many titles we give to the mother of Jesus Christ, St. Mary. Um, and why we're discussing this, as many of you may already know, is we are actually in the beginning-ish uh, of the two-week fast um, of St. Mary. And we're going to discuss today uh, just a few events that we see in her life and what virtues we can, what can we learn um, from her life. Now, I know once I say uh, St. Mary, uh, a lot of you know, red flags come up for some people. Not everyone is super comfortable with, with this idea, but just hold on a minute and let me explain why um, we revere St. Mary and why we honor her, um, by all, but also why we look to learn from her. Um, over the history of the church, uh, in the early parts of the church, this actually wasn't an issue of contention at all. In fact, many people honored St. Mary, and they thought that you know the, the way the church honored St. Mary was um, that she's basically, the, the, there's God, and then from the human race, that, that's what race means from humanity, from the human race, she is the pride of our race. She's better than, than the angels. She is the, the cream of the crop, okay, so to speak. So we saw that the mother of Jesus Christ was held in such high esteem from the beginning of the church. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, maybe that was just early on in the church. Because, you know, as, as Orthodox Christians, we tend to talk about the first few centuries of the church, right? This was actually not really an Orthodox thing. This was even a non-Orthodox thing. In fact, this wasn't even just the first few centuries. It went even post-Reformation of how people viewed St. Mary. So the truth is that the church, by and large, for the most part of its history, held St. Mary in such high regard. And even when I said post-Reformation, um, one of the, the, the founders of the Reformation movement, as we know, is Martin Luther. And he himself explains this honor that he views St. Mary in as well when he says the following. She is the highest woman and the noblest gem in Christianity after Christ. She is nobility, wisdom, and holiness personified. We can never honor her enough. Still, honor and praise must be given to her in such a way as to injure neither Christ nor the scriptures. And I'm not here to compare um, our teachings in the Orthodox Church to Martin Luther or anything like that. But what I want to point out is what he says right there we wouldn't disagree with. We would absolutely agree with that. She is the highest woman and the noblest gem in Christianity after Christ. We would say, absolutely, that is the church's teaching. She is nobility, wisdom, holiness personified. We can never honor her enough. That's, that's his words. And so he says, still honor and praise must be given in a way as to neither injure Christ nor the scriptures. And we would say, absolutely agreed. All this to show is that this idea of honoring Mary as the mother of Christ and what she did, and, and how she um, took part of this plan of salvation, we can absolutely learn from her, because this was something that the church understood from the very beginning, and for many, many years, um, it's only in the last couple of hundred years that we see um, where that has been a major shift. So what we're going to do today is we're going to ask ourselves, um, I'm not going to go through you know, what we believe about St. Mary and all that stuff. You can check out different talks that, that go through that. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three specific events, um, and through those events, what do we learn from her character? What do we learn from how she reacted, how she behaved, 
what makes her so special, but more importantly, how can we imitate her so that we're closer to Christ like she was, okay? So that's what we're going to do, and the very first um, event that we're going to look at together is the Annunciation, where Archangel Gabriel tells her this great news. So we're going to jump right in there. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Mary answers, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That is one of the most famous stories that we all know. Um, and it's really an a incredible story from, but by all accounts. I mean, sometimes we read stories over and over and they become almost fiction to us. But I want us to picture in our minds what just happened. You're sitting in a room. You're doing whatever you're, you're doing. Maybe you're making coffee or whatever. An angel appears. An angel appears. Already, this is a startling situation. Then the angel tells her, he tells her that she's going to bear a son. And his son is going to, he's going to be great. He's going to be great, great of the great of the great of the great. And she later understands that to be the Messiah. When we read this story, sometimes we think to ourselves, man, Mary must have been amazing for God to choose her for such a mission. She must have been an incredible, credible woman. Are you sure that's how you would have interpreted those events? If you're in her shoes, are you sure that's how you would have interpreted those events? When this story takes place, most scholars tell us that Mary's a little girl. Some estimate, some estimate from uh, age 12 to 15 even. Um, and as a little girl, this is already a scary situation. This is a lot of responsibility. But more than just responsibility, there's going to be repercussions for what's about to happen. She knows that, yes, God is offering this amazing, glorious, magnificent gift to her, and it's a high honor, high honor. But it comes with shame. It comes with a downside. This isn't an easy situation. The shame of being pregnant without a husband, and that's why she says, I'm a virgin. I know no man. How can these things be? In her time, this isn't a situation where somebody gets pregnant and they just, you know, and, and she's not married or whatever, and people gossip and talk and, and that's it. No, this is much worse. She is disowned by the community. She's labeled as an outcast. No one wants to associate you, with you if, this is, if you're in that situation. In fact, your own family might disown you. That's what she's faced with here. So why we sometimes read this story as, oh, that's amazing. Look, look at the gift that God has given her. I'm sure there was some fear. I'm sure there was some hesitation, some lack of knowledge. But in spite of that, in spite of that real appropriate fear, she places herself under God's authority, and she says, I accept your calling for my life. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. I'll do as, I, as I'm told. She had a choice. This wasn't God forcing himself upon her. God knew her heart, of course. But she had a choice. She could have said, no, thank you. I don't want, I don't want this. No, thank you. But instead, 
what she does is she accepts both the honor that will come from this, but also the shame and the responsibility that it will bring as well. Again, this is not a small sacrifice. And more than that, it's not a small sacrifice for a little girl. And that's who she was at the time. And that brings us to our first lesson of today. And that lesson is very simply, obedience requires courage. Obedience requires courage. St. Mary had to, to take this responsibility and be obedient to this responsibility, but she could only do so if by, by the courage that she had because she knew that she could trust in God. Courage to say, you know what, this isn't going to be the easiest path. And we know later on that um, Simeon the prophet tells her that you're going to experience pain. There's going to be some suffering in all of this. So her courage at her age is quite incredible. And it's often a, a virtue that goes overlooked. Sometimes we look at the humility of St. Mary, which, which we will, and, and other virtues. But she had real courage. Real courage that is really unfathomable for someone her age. But that's what makes her so special. Real courage that you wouldn't expect from a 12-year-old. But that's what makes her incredible. and That's what makes her who she is. But just like St. Mary, me and you, if we're going to be obedient to God, and we've been talking about obedience a lot in the last series, if we're going to be obedient and we're going to follow God and we're going to make that commitment that we're going to follow the ways of God, it requires courage. It requires a lot of courage. Because sometimes being obedient to God brings glory and honor. Sometimes it brings shame. It brings being labeled an outcast. And it's easy to be a Christian when it's cool to be a Christian. But when people look at us funny, or, or maybe we're, we're ashamed of something, or we don't want to act the same way, then it's not as easy. Making that conscious decision to do my best to be obedient to God no matter what, and not just be a Christian by name, that commitment requires great resolve and great courage. And it's, of course, well worth it. But we will have to have that great resolve and great courage because we will, as Christians, face circumstances when it's not in our advantage to be Christian. It is not really in her full advantage here to be obedient. In fact, there are going to be many disadvantages. And it's the same with us every single day. Rather than focusing on just her obedience, we need to also focus on the courage it took for her to be obedient, like the courage it might take for some of us to be obedient to God and to make that real commitment of being obedient to God no matter what. So that's the very first thing that we see from the very beginning in Luke chapter 1. The very first story, the Annunciation, is this incredible, incredible courage of this little girl who's obedient to God and will do whatever God asks of her. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. I will do whatever. I'm obedient to you no matter what anyone else thinks. And that's the beauty of St. Mary that we see here in the very first event. Second event is actually the very next verse. Okay, so the very next verse we're going to read together here in just a little bit. But if you remember that the archangel Gabriel came to her, he told her this news, and he also told her something in, in almost in passing. He says, hey, by the way, Elizabeth, your cousin, who's, you know, past her, her you know, her, her age to, to be able to give birth, she's actually expecting a child as well. So the very next verse, after she hears this about Elizabeth, says the following. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. This verse seems strange and almost out of place. 
Let me explain why. So we know that the angel told her all the things that are going to happen to her, specifically about the Messiah and the Son of God and all these things. Then he tells her about Elizabeth. Her next response, her next reaction, is to hurry and go to the town in the hill country of Judea. This wasn't an easy traveling experience. Just to give you guys an idea, it, it, some scholars say 80 to 100 miles. It would take days and days and days to travel. She just found out she's pregnant. She's in her first uh, trimester okay, uh, of, of being pregnant. If uh, I just recently found this out myself, that's probably one of, you know, the early on in pregnancy, that's, you know, people are sick and not feeling super well and all that stuff. So for her to make this, to, to travel and to go this far distance where there are no cars, no, none of that stuff, this is a real, real sacrifice. This mission that she's about to be on for whatever reason, this is strange. Like her first response is that, oh, I have to go to Elizabeth's house. Again, let's put ourselves in her shoes. And I often ask myself, why is this her response? If me and you were told that we're going to be bestowed an honor unlike any other ever known to man, but also that honor would come with some shame, some anxiety, some pain, how would we react? What would be your first response? Think with me. My first response would not be to hurry and go serve someone. That would not be my first response. You might sit with yourself ponder about the future, come up with a plan. You might get a little excited, a little scared, call a friend, post on social media some cryptic tweet or something. But St. Mary hurries to get away from herself and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And we hear Elizabeth's response and her shock when she says the following. When, Elizabeth's heard, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Even Elizabeth recognizes that this is crazy. Elizabeth is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The mother of my Lord is here to serve me? That doesn't make any sense. You are, you're the one who's supposed to be served. You're the one who's due honor. You're the one who's due praise. You're the one who's due everything. But you're coming to me to serve me? This is ridiculous. People should be visiting you, Mary. Why are you coming to me? I wonder to myself, do you think Mary would have brought up the fact that she was expecting the Messiah to be her son if Elizabeth didn't bring it up first? And I don't know the answer. This is just me pondering here. But some people say, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason she went. Honestly, based on her character and what we know about her, probably say probably not. And the reason that we would say that is because she's so focused on serving her elderly cousin who's ready to, getting ready to give birth and that's why she's really there to stay with them for the duration of the, the rest of her pregnancy and to help her until she gives birth to John. And she doesn't for a second think about what should I do? What, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Who's supposed to be helping me out? Who's supposed to be serving me? None of that stuff goes through her mind. Her humility 
and, and, and her, her desire to, to serve others, her focus on never exalting herself is what makes her like a, a I don't even know the right word, a superhero spiritual character in the Bible. Okay, I don't know if that's a thing, but that, that's what makes her so special. It makes her unreal. And that's why we, we read these words and we're inspired. Wow, how could this be? Somebody basically tells you that God looks at you with such high favor and God is granting you the highest honor imaginable. And her response is, I got to go serve my cousin. This is a strange response to the news she just received. But again, it's what we would come expe to expect from someone with her character. The character of St. Mary, who again, is just a little girl at the time. She was able to understand something that we fail to get time and time again. And it's very simply this. God exalts those who humble themselves. God exalts those who humble themselves. God exalts and honors those who really don't seek the honor to begin with. In fact, it is those people who run away from the fanfare, who run away from the glory, who stay focused on serving others. Those are the people that God continues to glorify and honor in his way. And it's Jesus himself who says that. This isn't me making something up. Jesus himself says that. In the Gospel of Luke, he says the following, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's apply it to me and you now, right? We're looking at how beautiful, you know, she is in, in her virtues, but how can I take little by little and learn lessons? So let's apply it to me and you. If we seek to find glory and honor out there in the world, you can define that however you want, whether with people, making sure that we're, you know, people like us all the time, we're just people pleasers, or social media is a big one nowadays. If that's our way of getting glory and honor, and that's what we're running after, we're in for a rude awakening. But if we seek to humble ourselves by thinking of others first, that brings God so much joy. That makes God so happy because that's the heart of God, like we've been talking about. When we're truly imitating him, like St. Mary did, that's what brings him the most joy. She never sought the limelight and accepted her glory an honor in private from the angel. She accepted it in, in private. It was something between her and God. And she accepted her shame in public. So she accepted her glory and honor in private. And she accepted her shame in public. She wasn't going to hide this child. She was going to have the child. Seems like a weird trade-off if you ask me. But that's what makes her, again, so special. And even the beautiful song that she sings after this, it's not about, oh, I'm the best, I'm awesome. It's about God has blessed me and how lucky I am that God has blessed me and blessed all of Israel. It's a humble praise towards God. Again, the character of who she was. And that's why God saw something very special in her heart. So, so far, we focused on two specific things. We focused on obedience and the courage it takes to be obedient. And we've also focused on humility, right? We focused on the desire to, do we have the desire to glorify ourselves in public? Or do we have the desire to, when God glorifies us, that that's in private and anything else is in public. So for her, glory and honor came privately. The shame and responsibility came in public. But 
what we see with us and every single day is what do we desire? Do we desire to be seen a certain way by people? People think of us a certain way and they receive that glory and honor from men or do we truly seek it from God? So those are the, the, the first two events that I wanted to, to share with you all today. Um, the Annunciation and the Visitation to Elizabeth, her cousin. Um, and there are so many things that we could talk about. Uh, but I'm going to just, uh, for the sake of time here, share one more event and what we can learn from that as well. And uh, that event is actually one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. And that's from the Gospel of St. John. Okay, so it's from John chapter 2. And it starts as follows. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then back in their time, that's a, that's a big uh-oh moment right here. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. I just want to read that one more time, just so we're on the same page here. Jesus' mother says, Mary says, Hey, Jesus, they have no more wine. Jesus answers, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And she looks to the servants and she says, Do whatever he tells you. Did I miss a punchline somewhere? <laughs> did I skip a verse? I copy-pasted wrong on that slide? What's going on? How did we go from, My hour has not yet come. This isn't my time. To her saying, do whatever he tells you. How do both of those things happen at the same time? If you're wondering how this is possible, it's because what I love about this story is that it's not so much about what is said, but, what, but by what isn't said. Jesus never says, I will do this for you, but rather she makes her request known and she has genuine confidence after she makes the request that she looks over to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. How did she know that? Where did she get the idea that Jesus was going to do that for her? Very simply, it's because she had a real, personal, intimate relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. And we can all strive to have that relationship. There are certain things that aren't necessarily said, but again, spirit speaks to spirit. She knows him so well that she knows he's going to do the miracle. And she's so confident in it that she turns to the servants and, tell them, and tells them, do whatever he says. This intimate relationship is the only thing that allows her to look at the servants and to tell them, do whatever he tells you to do. And the lesson for us from this is very simple. A personal relationship with Christ, a personal relationship with Christ is the beginning of evangelism. How are those two things tied? If we think about it, St. Mary in her way was bringing servants, not familiar to Christ, not knowing what he was capable of. He hasn't done any miracles up to this point. He has not displayed any miracles up to this point, but she has that personal intimate relationship with him. And she takes those servants and says, go to him, do whatever he tells you. If we want to bring others to Christ the same way she did here, we can only do that by beginning a personal and real intimate relationship with God. Not surface level, not knowledge, but really growing in our day-to-day -day 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 relationship with God. I'm not saying we have to be perfect in that relationship. We'll never be perfect. 
But we have to have that desire to sincerely seek after him and to have that relationship with him. And then and only then can we look at other people and say, trust me, go to him, do whatever he tells you to do, and life will be so much better. Life will be so much better. There's so much more to be gained if you would just listen to him. To look at everyone around us with genuine confidence and say, trust me, he's worth everything. The only way we could do that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the only way we can fulfill this mission here of, of, of that, that call to evangelism that God calls us to, that God commands us to, to bring others to him. The only way we can do that or, or part of the, the, the first steps to doing that is for us to first experience that personal relationship with him and then we draw people closer um, to God. There's this beautiful icon um, in, in, uh, historically that shows this, this level of intimacy and relationship between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her son, Jesus Christ. And the, the image is basically Jesus and, and Mary, um, and Jesus kind of has his cheek on his, on his mother's cheek as well. It's a very personal and intimate relationship. This closeness, this intimate relationship, and it's obviously very unique to them and their relationship because she's his mother. It's absolutely something that we can attain by the grace of God. That relationship, that desire to have that closeness with God, not only is that something that we want, but it's something that God himself wants. And certainly something that his mother wants for us. Because she's looking around to anyone who will listen saying, hey, go to him, do whatever he tells you to do. Trust me, do whatever he tells you to do. That intimate relationship that we're all seeking, that is the first step to truly fulfilling the command that Christ gave us to bring others to him. I hope that over these next few weeks um, where we're uh, dedicating this fast to St. Mary, um, but it's not really just dedicating a fast to her and honoring her and venerating her as she does have proper due and honor, um, but it's also a focus on how can we imitate her? And today we just looked at three events and three characteristics in her life. And there are so many others. There are so many other things you can learn from her life, even with the little, uh, the few things that are written in the Gospels about her. So I hope that over the next couple of weeks, um, we're really just contemplating on, on, on the beauty of St. Mary. And of course, we're honoring her and venerating her and all that good stuff. And we just talked about a few things here today. Um, but what I really want us to focus on is how can we imitate her? How can we imitate her? Because her desire is to draw us closer to Christ. And how can we imitate her specifically as we discussed today through that courageous obedience, that courage to be obedient to God no matter what the circumstances are, that humble heart, that, that heart of a, a humble heart of a servant, the desire to serve others, never seek our own glory, but to truly seek the glory of God. And we know that he will take care of us and he will honor us in his way. And more importantly and most importantly, I should say, having that personal relationship with Christ, having that intimate, unique relationship. And in that intimate, unique relationship, everything else is fulfilled, including our call um, to evangelism and to draw others to him. With that, let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for, for giving us way more than what we deserve, Lord. We thank you for always blessing us, for always guiding us. We thank you for this precious gift that you have given to the church body, um, your holy mother of God, St. Mary, and, and her beautiful virtues, Lord, that we look to, that we honor. Um, we ask, Lord, that 
we not only just look at those virtues, but we truly try to imitate them. Teach us, Lord, how to have that courage and obedience. Teach us how to have that humble heart, the heart of a servant. Teach us, Lord, to have that personal, unique, intimate relationship with you that we're desiring that day by day, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that you hear our prayers through the, the, through the prayers of your Holy Mother of God, St. Mary, St. Timothy, St. Athanasius, and all the choir of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all so much. Hope you enjoyed the well today, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>